Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Romans, chapter, chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves, one, who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is David Duran. I'm on staff here at DOXA as a church planting resident. My wife and I and our two daughters, uh, Lord willing, uh, we're going to be here at DOXA for a season of about two years. And then by God's grace, we're going to move to uh, Massachusetts to plant a church in an area where more evangelical churches are desperately needed. And I, I feel like I, I say this often, but if you believe that God is calling you to be a part of this work in any kind of way, whether that be through your prayers, uh, through your giving, or maybe you want to move up to Massachusetts with us and join us in this work, uh, I would love to talk with you more after the service. Well, this is, this is something else I'm pretty sure I say uh, every time I'm up here, but it is a joy for me uh, to be here uh, to preach to you this morning. Um, and I, I, I say that a lot, but I mean it every time I say it. I, I consider this a tremendous honor to, uh, to share God's word and to preach. Um, so thank you for having me and thank you for, uh, for letting me share this morning. I want to begin our time by asking a question. And I hope that this question will get us, get us all thinking a little bit as we dive into our, our text this morning. But here, here's the question. How would you feel knowing that you have an ongoing debt that you could never repay? How would you feel knowing that you have an ongoing debt that you could never repay? For some of you, the thought of owing some kind of debt, it brings an immediate feeling of stress and anxiety. Maybe you're thinking about that credit card debt that is slowly racked up over the years, or your student loan debt, or, or some kind, any kind of debt that you owe. You may be wishing that I didn't even mention the word debt because just that word makes you feel a little bit uneasy. I'll be honest in saying that for me, the idea of owing a debt to anyone, uh, it brings a feeling of nervousness and a feeling of pressure that I hate feeling. I hate owing things to other people. I was, I was fortunate enough not to have to, uh, to pay anything for my, my undergrad education, but I had to take out a nice uh, chunk of student loans to pay for my, my master's degree. And thinking about having to pay that back, it, it brings me a, a level of stress. And I, I believe that the Lord is gonna uh, provide for my family. I believe that's something that he, he wanted me to do but nonetheless, it makes me feel uneasy thinking that I, I have to pay something back. But here's what I want to propose for you this morning. There is a continuing debt that each of us have as followers of Jesus Christ. 
A debt that will never be squared up, a debt that will never go away, a debt that every Christian will always have. That debt is always going to remain. But here's the thing about this debt. Instead of stress or anxiety or pressure, the reality of this debt brings a profound level of joy for followers of Jesus. And the debt that I'm talking about, the debt that each of us have as Christians is the debt to love each other. The reality of the debt to love brings joy because when we are fulfilling this debt, we're exhibiting the character of Christ and bringing glory to God. And when we live as Christ intends, we receive joy. Jesus says, a new command I give you, that you love one another. When we as Christians live the life that Christ commands, we receive joy. But not only do we receive joy, um, but in, in response to our debt to love, through loving others, we fulfill the law. There's a lot, lot going on for us to consider in our passage this morning. So I want to pray, and then we're going we're gonna to dive in and see what the Lord has for us. So would you all pray with me? Father, we come before you this morning as needy people. And we acknowledge our need before you, God. And our greatest need is that we need you. We need more of you in our lives. So, Father, I pray that this morning, that as we look at your word, God, I pray that you would, you would speak to us, Lord. I know that you will. Speak to us, God. Father, you, your, your son tells us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. So Father, I want to pray that in a spiritual sense this morning, you will give us our daily bread. You'll nourish us on your word. You'll equip, you'll develop us into the people that you would have us be. Father, I, I pray and ask for your help this morning. God, on my own, I have no words of value to say this morning. So, Father, I, I pray that you would help me. Give me words to say, Lord, words that are honoring to you, that are edifying to people here. God, I pray that you would help us to focus on you, to focus on your word just for the next few minutes, Lord. Help us to fight against the distractions, God. Worries about the rest of the day or worries about what happened yesterday or, or the distraction that's in our pocket. God, help us to fight distractions and focus on you. Lord, I also want to pray for other churches that are gathering right now at this time, Lord, churches where the gospel is preached. I pray that um, those people would be edified, that Christians would be encouraged, Lord, and that, uh, that we all would live for your glory in this community here. So, Father, again, be with us now as we look at your word. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Now, we have just three verses that we're looking at this morning. But in these three verses are significant truths that are foundational to the Christian life. Remember that Romans 12 to 16 is the practical application of the doctrine that Paul laid down for us in chapters 1 to 11. In chapters 12 and 13, where we're, we're finding ourselves now, chapters 12 and 13, they are interested in the relationship between Christians 
and in Christians' relationship to others. And in in our passage this morning, Paul is actually picking up with some of the language that he introduced for us back in chapter 12. Just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the importance of genuine love being expressed in the Christian life. We talked about agape love, love that is marked by faithfulness and love that is, is deliberate, a love that's focused on others over self. And this kind of love should characterize the life of Christians. And it's only from our union with Christ that we're able to exhibit this kind of love. In our own strength, we naturally seek our own welfare over that of others. We naturally care more about ourselves than we do about others. You don't have to live in the world for more than, I don't know, 20 minutes to realize that. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to exhibit true agape love. And this is just one of the marks that should define how Christians live. Followers of Jesus, we are more concerned for others than ourselves. Last week, as we started Romans 13, you'll remember that we talked about what it means to submit to the governing authorities. We noted that leaders are appointed by God, and we as as citizens, we have a God-given responsibility to government. And there's a significant aspect of love that was in, in those verses that we looked at last week as well. Well, now, as we're looking at Romans 13, 8 through 10 this morning, you'll notice that Paul is picking back up with the importance of love in the Christian life. And he's also tying in some language that we we looked at last week. I'm actually gonna read our verses for us again, and then I'm gonna show you exactly what I mean. So let's read Romans 13, eight through 10 again together. Paul writes, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Notice how Paul's picking up language that we saw last week in verse 7 of chapter 13. There Paul writes, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Now here, Paul is saying, owe no one anything except to love each other. And then he continues that thought by saying, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Church, verse 8 is the main point of what Paul is saying in our text this morning. And we're going to spend the vast majority of our time looking at this verse. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. I do want to point out here quickly that Paul is not saying that loans are inherently evil. He's not saying that we should never borrow money. You or I are not automatically living in sin if we have a mortgage or if we have student loans or some other kind of debt. 
Now we should, we should seek to repay our debts as soon as possible, but we are not unquestionably in sin if we have some kind of debt. We could be in sin if we have debt, debt that maybe comes from materialism or some kind of addiction that we have. That, that can be and is sinful, but debt in itself is not necessarily a sin. There's actually places in scripture that give instruction on uh, how loans should be given. So it would be, it'd be an overreach here this morning to, to say that Paul's point is that we should never owe money. That's not, that's not what he's saying. Paul's point in the first half of verse 8 is that we as Christians have a perpetual obligation and debt to love other people. The love command that is binding to all Christians is a theme that runs throughout the entire Bible. We're not going to run through the, the swath of verses that highlight this, but I just want to point out a couple of them for you so that you know I'm not lying. I'm not telling stories up here. It is, it is throughout Scripture. Leviticus 19.18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus picks up on this exact same theme in his exposition of the new covenant in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 43 to 44. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We've seen recently, I already mentioned the love language that Paul uses in Romans 12. I also think it's important for me to mention that Paul is not saying, this is important, he's not saying all that we need is some sort of loving feeling towards others. We'd be in error if we just try to make love into some, some strange kind of theoretical uh, concept or vague concept. There are real, uh, genuine steps that we take to exhibit Christian love to others. Here's, here's another important point that I want to make. The love that we must exhibit is not limited to other Christians. It's not just limited to other Christians. Perhaps the one that we need to model love towards is someone who is hostile towards us, towards someone who has wronged us in some way. Maybe it's somebody who has cheated us financially. Maybe we need to model love towards someone who has demonstrated some kind of racial prejudice towards us. There is no one who is beyond the scope of our obligation to love. Of course, the one who modeled love perfectly for us was our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus loved those who hated him. He loved those who seemed unlovable. In an unfathomable act of love, Jesus went to the cross and died in the place of all who would put their faith and their trust in him. Jesus went through an excruciating death, bearing the wrath of God towards sin, so that all who turn from their sin and trust in Christ and receive him as Lord can be forgiven. Perhaps you're here this morning and that's something that you need to do today. You need to turn from your sin, you need to receive and trust in Christ for salvation. There's never been a more profound demonstration of love in all of human history than what Christ did at the cross. And if you're wondering, if you're wondering how to love each other, how we can love each other in the way that Paul is describing, look at the life 
of Jesus. Read through the Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. See the way that Jesus loved people, not just in word, but also in action. That's the kind of love that we're talking about this morning. A love that comes from the affections of the human heart. A love that is not purely based on outward actions and performance, but a love that overflows from the affections of our heart. That's the kind of self-sacrificing love that is required of us as Christians. Friends, when Christ is our focus, love will be our fruit. Let's not overcomplicate the Christian life. I think we do that sometimes. We make this more complicated than it needs to be. At the core of who we are as Christians is love. It's not intellectual acumen. It's not cultural sophistication. No, it's love that should be at our core. I want everyone here to consider doing something later today. Maybe after lunch or before you go to bed tonight, sit down without your phone, without the TV on, just you and the Lord, and examine yourself. Examine yourself and see if love for others is a defining characteristic of your life. Would others say that, that, that this is true of you if they were to examine your life? Would they be able to look and see, yes, love for others is a defining characteristic of, of you? I don't, think I'm taking this, I don't think I'm taking this too far here in saying that love for others, it should be a defining characteristic for Christians. So I encourage you, take, take a minute to yourself and think about this today. If you find that you're struggling in your ability to love others, pray and ask that God would help you in this area. Pray that God would first set your heart and set your affections on him. And I'm gonna mention this again. I said it earlier, but I think it's worth saying again that it's only from a union with Christ that we're able to love other people. So pray, pray towards that. Um, we know that human beings are, are difficult to love and we fail one another and we sin against each other all the time. And it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can truly love others. Church, that deep concern and love that we have for ourselves, the love that we have for our families, that should characterize our attitude towards one another and towards those who do not know Jesus. Owe no one anything except to love each other. Now, with that in mind, let's, and everything that we've talked about in, in, in terms of love and owing love, Paul writes this, second half of verse eight. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Think for a second and remember who Paul is writing this letter to. It's to the church at Rome. And this church was, was made up of Christians from both Jewish and non-Jewish backgrounds. And one of the biggest issues that the early church had to work through and sort of sort through and figure out was what is the role of the Mosaic law to Christians? The Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 is where much of this sort of came to a head. But we, and we find just throughout Paul's letters, he, he has to address this theme over and over again. 
But I say all that to say, Paul is making a pretty bold statement here in saying that the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Let me boil down for you in just a couple of sentences what Paul is saying here. Essentially, Paul is saying that the Christian, the one who has received Christ as Savior and now belongs to the the new covenant people of God, the Christian is no longer under the Mosaic law of the Old Testament. Instead, we are now under the law of Christ. And central to the law of Christ is the command to love our neighbor as ourselves. Christians now fulfill the demands of the Mosaic law by loving. Real quick, I want to define for you what I mean by Mosaic law for anyone who may not be familiar with with that term. When we talk about the Mosaic law, we are we're referring to the law that God gave to the Israelites through Moses back in the Old Testament. It starts with the the 10 commandments and that it includes all the rules and regulations given in the the first five books of the Bible. So Paul, Paul is making a big statement by saying that the one who loves has fulfilled the law. Here's the reality, church. Love does fulfill the law. Love doesn't replace, but fulfills the law. And the one who loves is doing what the law requires. You know, a lot of times those terms, uh, the law and love, are almost cast as opposites. I don't know if you've come across that kind of mindset in, in conversations that you have with people, but it seems to me that there's a lot of misconception about that. Like law and love are just on the complete opposite side. But the law and love are not opposites, but are actually profoundly linked together. Maybe this little analogy here will help you to see what I mean. Think about the connection between true saving faith in Christ and the works that come from that faith. Our works, they don't save us, but true faith does produce good works. And if you're, if you're struggling to see that concept there, read, read James 2. You'll see what I'm talking about. But in terms of, of the law and love, here, here's the connection. One of the real functions of the law was to produce a people filled with the love, filled with love of God. The law was designed to create a people set apart from the surrounding nations, a people set apart for God and filled with love towards God. But when you read through the Old Testament, you see that that reality, it did not happen. The people often, they they turned their backs on God. They chased after idols. They sinned greatly against God. And the problem wasn't the law. The problem was the human heart. The human heart left to its own devices is wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we can get a heart transplant. And the heart transplant that we undergo when we receive Christ as Savior, it gives far more life than one that takes place in an operating room. God takes a cold heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh that truly loves 
him. And all this is possible through Jesus Christ. Friends, the gospel is not simply about creating morally good people. That's one of the worst things that we can communicate about Christianity, by the way. The gospel at its core is not simply about creating good moral people. Just like the law was not simply about creating good moral people. No, the the gospel is about God creating people who overflow with the love of Christ. And the law, it helps us to define what love actually is. The loving thing to do, it may not always be evident to us. We may be unsure how to love in different situations or how to love in different contexts. Looking at the life of Jesus certainly helps us to understand how to love, but we also learn how to love by looking at the law in the Old Testament. The pathway of love, it includes moral behavior, and it includes guidelines. We find these when we look at the law in the Old Testament. Maybe this will help you to see the connection a little bit clearer between law and love. I heard someone put it this way one time, and it's really helped me, so I'm going to share that with you. Love is like a river that replenishes the human spirit. But the moral principles of the law, or moral principles from the law, provide boundaries so that the river is not dispersed all over the place. But instead, the river retains its strength, and it retains its power. The law gives us moral guidelines so that we know how to love others. And while we need to recognize that the law is good and that it helps shed light on how we should love others, we must remember, this is very important, we must remember that the law itself cannot give life. The law itself cannot give life. Paul gets at this in Galatians 3.21 when he writes, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. We cannot gain eternal life, and we do not experience the eternal love of God by keeping the law. The law can help guide us in love, but we do not earn God's love in keeping the law. We Christians, we can be very prone to slipping into that that old mindset that thinks we're earning uh, God's love and we're earning God's favor by keeping his commands. When When we keep God's commands, we demonstrate that we do love God, but we're not earning his love in keeping his commands. No, true life, eternal life, comes from the one who kept the law perfectly. That, of course, is Jesus Christ. Romans 10.4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ took care of the righteous requirements of the law. But love, love is a living, active obedience to the whole law. Church, that is, that is what is required of us who are believers. That's what, that's what it is, that is required of us who belong to Jesus, that we love others. You know, when we we love others and fulfill the law in doing so, we receive a deep level of joy. The last thing that I want to happen this morning 
is for someone to leave here feeling this great big burden on their back that they have to, they have this burden to love. I don't want you to feel a burden to love. I don't want you to leave, leave here beating yourself up because you feel like you aren't loving others. It's not what we're after this morning. Now the Lord, he could bring some, some conviction to some of you this morning, but no one should leave here feeling this big burden on their back to love. Instead, this is what I, what I hope happens. I've been praying towards this. Instead, I want you to leave here excited and inspired to love one another here in the church and those who do not know God. And one of the ways I think, um, I think you'll be excited to do this is by seeing how your level of personal joy is connected to all of this. There's a profound connection between our love for others the law being fulfilled by the one who loves and the joy of the one who is doing this. There's so many connections that we could, we could draw here, but I want to point out just one really big one for you. Friends, we bring glory to God when we love him and obey what he commands. Love for God and love for others brings great glory to God. Remember the great commandment Jesus gave, gave in Matthew 22? Someone asked Jesus, what, what is the greatest commandment in all the law? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and, uh, great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Love for God and love for others. And in doing these things, we glorify God. Brothers and sisters, when we live in a way that brings glory and honor to God, we feel a profound level of joy because we are doing what God created us to do. We're living in a way that God designed and we overflow with joy when this happens. The debt that we have to love others creates the possibility for joy because it gives us a continual opportunity to be obedient and bring glory to God. We never ever get to the point where we say, okay, I guess I don't have to love others anymore. This is a, a great thing because it means we have a continual opportunity for joy. Don't think of our debt to love others as a burden. Instead, think of it as an opportunity for joy. You know, even though we have the Bible to direct us towards knowing how to love each other, I recognize that we all face situations where it can be really difficult to know what the, the loving thing is to do. It's not always crystal clear like we would want it to be. Perhaps a helpful way to think about it is to say this, Love always seeks what will bring most glory to God in the life of one's neighbor. It's not a perfect definition, but maybe it'll help you the way it's helped me. Love always seeks what will bring most glory to God in the life of one's neighbor. When we think about loving others, that's what should be in our head. What is going to bring the most glory to God in the life of that individual? I think it's worth me pointing out here that it's often those who are closest to us that we fail to love the most often. 
Husbands and wives, think about how often we, we, uh, we give a kind word or gesture to those who to maybe our friends or our work colleagues, but we, we, uh, we fail to extend the same kind of love and the same kind of charity when our spouse is facing a difficulty. Young people who are here this morning, do you show genuine love towards your friends, but then fail to extend that same kind of love to your parents? With God's help, we must discern in every situation what is loving. And one of the ways that, um, one of the ways where my wife and I have experienced true Christian genuine love is, is through being members here at Doxa and through being part of, of a community group here. This past week was just a very rough week for my family. And I'm not gonna go into details this morning, but we've just, we've had a rough week. And the way that people in our church and the way that people in our community group have loved us, it has been life-giving for me and for Margot. And there are a number of ways in which Christians fulfilling their debt to love others can bring eternal life to those who don't know Christ. I have a friend who once he shared a very powerful testimony about how his, his Christian mother's love for his Hindu father won his father to Christ. This man was a, an alcoholic. He was horrible towards his wife. This woman had every grounds for divorce, but she believed the Lord was calling her to continue to love her husband. She believed that debt had not been removed from her. She had a debt to, to continue to love him and to pray for him. And this woman, she loved and she prayed for her husband for over 10 years, all the while enduring his harsh treatment. And then one day, this man, he had a very real encounter with the Lord. And he became a dedicated follower of Jesus. He went on to plant thousands of churches. And I've actually visited one of the first churches that, that he planted. Thousands and thousands of people came to faith in Christ through this man's ministry. There are very real ways that the Lord brings life to others, eternal life to others, through us fulfilling the debt that we have to love each other. Church, our, our love for one another in this local church body and our love for others throughout this community and throughout this entire world, this is a non-negotiable. There are a lot of things that we like to debate and have discussions about. Some of the, these things are very important, things like uh, specific theological issues or, or key political issues. Those are important things we should, we should debate about. Other things are less important, like what's your favorite Netflix show or what's the, the best college football team right now? But our genuine, our genuine heart's desire to love each other, that is a non-negotiable. There's no debate surrounding this in scripture. There should be no debate surrounding this in, in our lives together. Love for others should characterize all of our lives. Well, I believe that I believe that many of us, we believe that we have an ongoing debt to love each other. Like in our minds, we believe that this is true. We see it in the Bible. I wonder how many of us are actually living as if this debt is a reality because it, it is. Think about the joy that you start to feel when you, when you start paying off a debt. 
It feels good knowing that your payments are going to be finished one day and you won't owe any money anymore. The debt, this debt that we're talking about, that we have to love others, is a continual debt and it produces a joy a thousand times greater than any debt that you might have that you're making payments on. We make a life-giving, joy-producing payment when we love each other. Brothers and sisters, let your only unpaid debt be to love others. When we love others, we have fulfilled the law. And through our obedience to God, we bring him glory and we experience profound joy. And I want all of you here, all of you here to know and experience the kind of joy that comes from understanding that we have this debt to love others and living out the reality of this debt. I want you all to experience that joy. So I'm gonna pray for us now and then we're gonna come up and take communion. We're gonna to continue to think about this as we worship the Lord. So let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that Christ paid the debt for righteousness, God. He paid that debt on the cross. Lord, I thank you that we, we receive eternal life when we receive him. And Father, I'm also grateful that when we receive your son as our savior, we receive a debt to love. And Father, I'm thankful that that debt is not one that crushes us. It's not one that gives us stress and anxiety, but one that creates the opportunity for joy. Father, I pray that all of us here, Lord, this week, as we're going about our lives, Lord, that we'll, we will experience the joy that comes from loving others. God, I pray that you'll help us. Lord, in our own, in our own strength, we're incapable of this. We need your spirit dwelling within us to make this possible. So God, we pray that that would be the reality, Lord. Make your spirit come alive in us this week as we love others. Father, be with us the rest of this service as we worship you, God. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.